Hey y'all, this your girl Yo-Yo, back on the reel, no invitation needed, hop in the conversation at any time, get connected, justice for Maurice Sanders. I wanted to get on here this morning just to make a correction on um, on my podcast I made last night um, that says, did you vote? Um, I think um, when I mentioned uh, Michelle Obama's book that I was reading, I pulled it out this morning, and the name of the book is um, Becoming. Um, So I think I said um, Belonging last night, but the name of the book is Becoming, and it's very, very interesting, Um, like I was saying yesterday. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get on here and make that correction. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. It is election day. So hopefully um, you have taken that time off of work and you are sitting in line or standing in line making your vote count today. Today is the day. I don't know, maybe you can look up in um, in your state and see when voting ends, I know in certain places it ends at 7 o'clock p.m. In Arizona, it ends at 7 o'clock p.m. Um, so please um, get out and vote um, and make your voice heard. Um, so it is November the 3rd. Um, so the new year, 2020, is almost over. So, again, um, I hope everybody's doing amazingly today, and currently I'm at work. I'm sitting on hold right now to speak to someone, so I just wanted to reach out and make that small correction. Peace, love, and harmony. From the two candidates' camps uh, in relation to what is emerging from Georgia and those other states that have declared uh, their polls are closed, that have closed six states that have closed within the last hour. There's uh, Greg Milam with the Democrats, uh, James Matthews with the Republicans at the White House. And James, first of all, are you hearing anything, any reaction at all, any whispers from the White House? Yeah, bits and pieces coming out. Uh, not so much a whisper from the president himself, uh, Dermot, as he sits in the east wing of the White House, we are told He will watch the results coming in with senior allies and with family members. He tweeted in the past hour in capital letters. He he wrote, we are looking good all over the country. Thank you. So that's the word so far uh, from the president. Inside uh, quite uh, an eerie White House complex, it is surrounded by a a non-scalable fence for fear of unrest. You know, there is the multilingual commentary of the world's media inside the grounds. In the distance, around 100 yards away, you can hear the drumbeat of demonstration. I think it's worth stating that because we are in a in a bizarre, a weird, unprecedented situation. The centre of this capital city is hunkered down uh, because of fear and anxiety about how things might play out. But in terms of how the politics may go, we've heard from campaign managers, insiders in the Republican campaign. I'll tell you through a little of what they've been saying, Dermot. Uh, talking up Donald Trump's prospects, perhaps unsurprisingly, but they are, they seem to have increased in confidence over the day, actually, talking about big turnout in Florida. They say turnout uh, that is similar, in their words, to a Trump 
rally. They're speaking about Wisconsin, saying that they weren't so confident about that at the start of the day, but they reckon that their numbers are looking okay. They've given a kind of list of, a confidence list, if you like. Let me just run you through that for what it's worth. It's, what, it's how the Republicans are seeing states at this stage. Uh, high level of confidence, they say Texas, Florida, Ohio, and Iowa. Optimistic. Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, Wisconsin. Cautiously optimistic, Pennsylvania. Not very optimistic, uh, Michigan. Pennsylvania is an interesting one. We, did, we have heard from uh, inside the campaign that they're not thrilled by the Republican turnout at the polls, and they reckon that Donald Trump's rhetoric on mail-in ballots, you know, he's been disparaging and questioned the validity of them for several weeks and months. They reckon that has actually switched Republicans off from mailing in their ballot, and they've been left with a, a mad dash, which too few Republicans in their mind have made today. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks, Jane. Just a quick check-in then with Greg Marlin with the Democrats. I suspect that then they're, they're scoffing at that list of states that James read out there, um, perhaps they're more optimistic about them on the Democrat side. Yeah, they've been optimistic for a while. They think particularly those early voting uh, numbers will, will favor Joe Biden and they believe turnout will be significant. Um, the man himself is, is at home in, here in Wilmington, Delaware right now watching what's going on like uh, the rest of us. Uh, we know he will come here and be on this stage at some point in the hours to come in the words of his campaign, to address the nation, very presidential language for the message he will have, which they say will be one of calm and unity as he awaits for uh, the results. But even in the last hour or so of voting in, in Georgia and Florida, his campaign were driving uh, voters uh, to the polls. They were trying to uh, drag every last drop out of the campaign in those states, which they believe will be critical. The man himself was going to all kinds of symbolic uh, locations today in, in Pennsylvania, the state of his birth, to the house where he grew up, uh, to, the, to the spiritual home of the Constitution, to neighborhoods where they target black voters to, to try to get that support up. Very much looking at those sections of the, the electorate they believe will be significant. S suburban voters, those who sat out the last election because they didn't like Trump or Hillary Clinton, they believe that's the sliver across the country, and in, in states like Pennsylvania in particular, that will be the difference for Joe Biden. But uh, every last vote they were chasing in the last hours of voting, and they are watching very closely, like all of us, what happens in Georgia, because they believe that will be the first indication of what's going to happen tonight. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Indeed, poll's about to close. Well, we're about to close in about three more states uh, at uh, half past in about 13 minutes' time. Now, I say we're due to close in three states. That's because one of them is North Carolina, and because of earlier polling difficulties in some polling stations, we hear that uh, they're delaying the, the closing time for about 45 minutes or so, but uh, at least two more uh, in about 12 minutes' time. I want to talk to our panellists again. Uh, Kim Darrick, um, I never got your thoughts. We somehow, uh, I suppose, got caught up in, in the closing of the polls there um, about this idea of a disputed election, something very weird happening, and uh, a red mirage, a blue mirage, it depends which state you're looking at, but at some point, Donald Trump getting his nose in front or, or being very close anyway, and, and coming out and saying, right, well, I've won this, and anything else that's counted after this is illegal. Yeah, I've always felt, Dermot, that if it's very close, and remember it came down to, what, 77,000 votes across three, straight, three states in 2016, if it is that close, then it's bound to end up in the courts. And 
both sides, both the Democrats and the Republicans, have battalions of lawyers in all of the swing states ready to swing into action if there is any way of challenging how a result has come out, has come out against them. So, so I do think that is, that is likely if it is close. If uh, there are you know, states that, that should be, say, solid Republican that go Democrat early, then maybe it's less likely because it will look just a much more comfortable victory one way, one way or the other. I would say that I think it's a terrible look for American democracy if the result of the election ends up in the courts and if it takes then days or even weeks to resolve it. And when I was in the States, I would meet a surprising number of Democrats who still argue about the 20, about the 2000 result, who still claim that that, that was stolen by Bush through the courts of Gore. So it's not a very, it's not a way of finishing an election process that anyone feels, feels happy with. And it's kind of something that's pretty unique to, to America. You can't imagine that kind of thing happening in our system, for example. So um, I just hope very much that we can get a clear result and that doesn't happen because it's, it's a really bad outcome if it does. Yeah, I should just say there's another projection uh, coming into us, uh, Indiana, there you can see projected winner Donald Trump. We are also projecting that uh, the tiny state right up there on the Canadian border of Vermont uh, is uh, projected to go to Joe Biden with, uh, at this point, 62.7% of the vote, three electoral college votes, uh, the state's represented at uh, senatorial level by Bernie Sanders, of course, the independent who votes with the Democrats and uh, who uh, so nearly became uh, the candidate uh, in 2016 and uh, ran again, of course, in 2020. But Vermont, they're projected for the Democrats, and that gives them three electoral college votes. So I want to continue that discussion. I started with Kim Derrick, though, with them, with Ashley Coning. And, uh, of course, as, as Kim Derrick was saying there, Ashley, it needs to be close yeah, for that scenario, here. that nightmare scenario, to, to come about. If there's, if there's hundreds of thousands or indeed millions of votes between candidates in a particular state, we'll they right accept that. Very much so, and, and we know that as Joe Biden's lead throughout the night, if it increases, we know it's more and more likely for him to snag the Electoral College as well, the chances escalating for him to do so. And so that only bodes well for him to be able to get enough ground between him and Trump uh, if he wants to win this election. Instead of having these close margins like we saw back in 2000, it could be a very messy scenario going to the courts. Did you get the sense, though, that um, Donald Trump was slightly rowing back from what he'd been saying about that? You know, today he seemed to, to, to dial it down a bit. Yeah, I think he did, actually. I mean, he's faced so much criticism for this suggestion that he won't accept the results, that he considers the whole democratic process illegitimate. I mean, uh, just a couple of days ago, you looked at his strategy and it seemed to suggest if he sees a margin he likes tonight, he's going to claim victory. If he sees a margin he doesn't like, then he's going to call this illegitimate. And then thirdly, he's going to try and battle this out, flood the zone, as they say here, with lawyers. So it was this really kind of bullish uh, attitude that he was taking to it, but a much softer tone that he struck today, suggesting, no, we will wait to see the victor and then declare. And 
you know, let's look at the actual path to a potential victory for Donald Trump. It's unlikely he's going to be able to declare victory early on because the type of states that his success might hinge on are Pennsylvania, for instance. Well, it could be days till we get the result from there. Joe Biden, though, it's different. If he does well in that sun belt, as we call it, then, you know, it potentially could signify an early win. They have very different scenarios. Yeah, but just on that issue of Pennsylvania, Omarosa said they are allowed to accept the postal votes to still keep coming in and count them potentially into the end of next week. But Donald Trump wants to say, well, if they're not in by today, they can't be cancelled. But it's not up to him, is it? It's up to the, it's up to the, the states themselves uh, and the courts if they need to adjudicate. Yeah, but I think it's really sad that it took a judge to step in and say, let's enforce the rules that are in place, the rules that have been established for so long. But Donald Trump always feels as though he can bend the rules to please his whim. And this is not the case where he can do that. We'll keep watching, but you just have to watch that Donald Trump is going to continue to shock you because he always does when things don't go his way. Okay, well, uh, let's remind ourselves of some of the key developments then so far. Let me take you through them. And the first polls have closed in the United States. More than 100 million Americans cast their votes before today, before Election Day, putting the country on track for its highest ever turnout in a presidential election. Donald Trump has tweeted that he's feeling positive about the polls. He said, looking really good all over the country. Thank you. Set to win Indiana, a traditionally Republican state, which is the first to be projected tonight. We make that projection. And uh, Joe Biden told reporters outside a community center in Delaware that he's superstitious about making predi predictions, but it's hopeful. The Democrats are optimistic that the high turnout could bode well for their campaign. And early indications are that Mr. Biden is outperforming Hillary Clinton's performance of four years ago. And uh, the state of Vermont has been projected for the Democrats at uh, three electoral college votes there. Well, I'm joined now by Margaret Hoover, a conservative commentator and great-granddaughter of Herbert Hoover, who was president during the Depression years. Very good to talk to you, Margaret Hoover. I want to talk about your great-grandfather perhaps in a, a moment or two. But first, uh, your thoughts overall. Say, a uh, Republican commentator, but uh, not a particular fan of the president. That's right. That's right. I uh, stand for a Republican Party that's true to its principles, that believes in uh, being a leader in the world, but having strong alliances, especially with our friends across the pond, uh, believes in a constructive immigration plan, a, a, you know, a, a cares about debts and deficits, uh, you know, all the things that Republicans have stood for, at least for the course of my lifetime, and frankly, back to uh, Herbert Hoover and even before that. Yeah, when did you sour then on Donald Trump, or, or were you uh, never particularly keen on him, even when he was candidate Trump in 2015 and 16? Well, if you recall, candidate Trump ran against uh, 15 other Republicans, uh, all of whom I would have preferred. But the truth is, once he was elected, I gave him the chance. I wanted to see what he would do. I supported him when I liked the policy proposals and the, and the decisions and the moves he made, and I called it like I saw it when I thought he behaved badly. But really, it was at Charlottesville when uh, President Trump said that of a neo-Nazi march, a, a, light, a, a march that uh, was purportedly about statues and Confederate statues, that there were good people on both sides of the equation when really there were uh, people who, who were neo-Nazis who were in the crowd. So it was, it was, that, was, that was really the, the final straw for me, <laughs> like many Americans. 
it's 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 the divisiveness. Then do you think Joe could divide? I mean, Joe Biden said, well, he, you know, you may vote red or blue, but I'm going to govern for all of you. Is that the kind of talk? Do you think this? I mean, you want to hear it, but do you think the country does? Uh, the country does want to hear it, but just to be clear, it wasn't just the divisiveness for Donald Trump. It was the coddling neo-Nazis and 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 real fascists and uh, the the dog whistling in a way that is resonant of the worst traditions in American and political history that got me with Donald Trump, not just the divisiveness. Uh, but look, there is, it would be certainly nice to have somebody who actually is from the Senate, the United States Senate, of course, the Governor Joe Biden has a long career in the United States Senate. Some of the most effective presidents in American history have actually been successful as United States Senators. If you look at Lyndon Baines Johnson, who had an enormously successful run in the presidency, passing the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act uh, of 1964 and 1965. This is a man who knew how to move legislation through the American Congress, both the House and the Senate. He knew how to work together with Republicans and Democrats alike. This is something that actually Joe Biden is known for. And, and you see slivers of this, even in how Joe Biden has conducted the last stretch of his presidential campaign, a bitter animosity with Bernie Sanders, the Democratic Socialist from Vermont, whom, by the way, the last Democratic nominee had defeated, Hillary Clinton, but she could not bring him into the fold in her presidential race once she received the Democratic nomination. Joe Biden, on the other hand, has welcomed Bernie Sanders in without really compromising his principles as what he really is as a centrist Democrat. He is a an old-school liberal, really a, a, a moderate Democrat, not the democratic socialism of the new progressive left in the United States, yet somehow he's been able to bridge that divide and bring the progressive left squarely into his corner. Now, we'll see how strongly they've turned out for him at the polls, but none of the contention and none of the dissent that you saw in 2016 about would the Bernie people show up for Hillary, that has just not been part of the factor in 2020. And just a quick thought, we're nearly out of time, quick thought on the, your great-grandfather. Do we need a stimulus package, the likes of which he started, to, to deal with the economic fallout? Just 15 seconds, I'm sorry. Everybody says yes. Wall Street says yes. Republicans say yes. Democrats say yes. Frankly, everyone except Donald Trump says yes, and I think that you'll get that even if Donald Trump is elected. There will be a stimulus message. Great talking to you, Margaret Hoover. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, got us ended there because the next set of polls are about to close in just a few moments' time. Uh, this time in Ohio and most of North Carolina, both key bellwether states, uh, alongside West Virginia. on the ground, particularly in the key counties and key districts that will decide it. And they tend to believe that, yes, 
Trump will prevail in Ohio. I'm hopeful that as the results come in that maybe my fellow Buckeyes will, you know, find their way. But, you know, I'm hearing on the ground that, in fact, Donald Trump did put a lot of money, a lot of advertisement there, and he put a lot of boots on the ground. That makes the difference. Yeah, just tell me what a Buckeye is. A Buckeye? <laughs> we Sorry. are the heart of America. The Buckeye comes from the Buckeye tree, which ah. is our state motto. It's a little bit. Have you ever seen Ohio State game? There's Not a big buckle, Buckeye running around the game saying, oh, hi, oh. Okay, well, listen, when this coronavirus is all over, you must, you must take me. I must go and see the, the legendary Buckeye at the game. Um, North Carolina, Cordelia. North Carolina, very interesting. Uh, for once, it is a, a toss-up, and Democrats believe within their reach. Just to give you a kind of historical sense of how unusual that was. Uh, a Democrat hasn't won it since, well, Barack Obama, but before that, it was back to Jimmy Carter's day. So... There's been some shifts. The reason behind it, well, we look to places like Charlotte's, that's known as kind of part of the research triangle, where you're seeing more educated voters coming in with college degrees. You're seeing a lot more African-American voters as well. They believe that their kind of push to the polls has really helped them. And if they're able to flip somewhere like North Carolina, it's a signifier of something they might be able to replicate across the country. He doesn't need to get North Carolina to win Joe Biden, but it would be symbolic, potentially, of, of something wider. I think it's very interesting to hear Omarosa's take on Ohio, because that, of course, was a place that Donald Trump won by eight points in 2016. It seems to steer more of white, more right than, you know, your Michigan's, your Pennsylvania. But it's so interesting because I was there with him when he did his last rally when I, before I left the White House, and he made promises about bringing back the steel mills, opening up factories. I can report to you that that has not happened. Unemployment before pandemic was at an all-time high there, and as a result, I thought that Ohioans would say, "I'm not better off than I was before, and I'm going to turn." But they have stuck with. Ashley Koning, um, on that, um, did things change then in, in the likes of Ohio as it economically remained much the same? And then, of course, coronavirus came along, if there had been any improvement. Very much so. And we know with North Carolina that, that coronavirus cases are up, especially there, like many states across the country right now. With Ohio, we see about a 50-50 chance. It's a razor, razor-thin margin in the polls for Biden. Uh, but again, as we've been talking about, uh, likely will go red, has has been going red. Uh, my dad is from Ohio, so I also very much know what a Buckeye is. Um, so uh, this is, this is uh, you know, steel country. We're talking about part of the Rust Belt. Uh, we're talking about particular demographics. So North Carolina may be more of a shot than Ohio. Okay, um, you might got to get me a Buckeye T-shirt then. Um, Kim Derrick, uh, we've mentioned here the extraordinary amount of money that both campaigns have raised and spent, so that's usual in American elections, but the Democrats far outspent the Republicans. Yes, that's what I read, and it's a real turnaround, though, because right back um, at the start of the campaign, I mean, 12 months or so ago, the story was that Donald Trump had a much, much bigger war chest than, for example, Joe Biden did. But that's all turned around in the last uh, in, in the last few months. A lot of money come in behind 
Biden, somewhere, by the way, I think from Mike Bloomberg, who was one of the defeated um, Democrat candidates, and they have been way outspending uh, Trump um, in some of these key battleground states. And uh, you know, if money counts, and it does in American politics, if the amount of advertising you do counts, that's going to give Biden a, a real advantage. Okay, well, let's talk about some of those key battleground states, um, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. We've got uh, correspondence in all of them and polls closing uh, fairly shortly in Florida and Pennsylvania. Siobhan Robbins is there for us in Florida, so let's start there. And uh, Siobhan, as I say, polls closing pretty shortly in Florida, but counting well, well underway already. <laughs> Sally, a contrast then between the, the speed of the counting in Florida and that in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, the polls are due to close here in around half an hour, but counting has been underway since around 7 o'clock this morning, but it could be uh, by Friday before we actually know uh, the results here. Both candidates have been blitzing uh, this state because this could be the deciding state in this election. Whichever way Pennsylvania goes, the country is likely to go as well. And every count, every vote counts here. 
uh, because the margin that Donald Trump took this state by in 2016 was very, very small. Now, the urban areas like Pittsburgh, where we are, tend to do better uh, with the Democrats, and the rural areas tend to favor uh, the Republicans. But we shouldn't generalize too much. There's still a lot of diversity among the demographics that we describe. For example, we often say that younger voters uh, Black Americans are more likely to vote for the Democrats. Well, let me introduce you to two young Americans who bucked that uh, trend, James and Brittany. Uh, thank you very much for speaking to us. Now, you're both voting for Donald Trump, and you voted for him last time. Um, tell me why Donald Trump gets your vote. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's necessarily Donald Trump gets my vote. It's, right. it's conservative values. It's being a constitutionalist. And um, you know, I don't think one man in a, in a White House in Washington, D.C. has the answers for my life, my day to day. Um, but that's just me. That's, that's kind of my basis on my vote. And what about you, Brittany? Are you happy with Donald Trump's performance in the last four years? I mean, I would definitely agree with that. I think economically, the most um, the, the party that makes the most sense is more conservative views and more Republican. Um, now, if you get into the the social views, I think. I mean, I personally tend to be a little bit more liberal, but I think as an economy, what we need the most is someone who's who's more conservative. And Donald Trump has set that picture. And how much does Donald Trump's language concern you when it comes to even the election itself, uh, wanting a winner to be called on the night, for example, questioning mail-in ballots? What are your views on that? I mean, I, I think Donald Trump's character has come into question a little bit. I don't think he has necessarily the, the, um, the finesse with terminology that we would ideally like in a presidential candidate and then as a president, but... I mean, I think ultimately it comes down to what's best for the country and um, how we can come through with that. And I think, obviously, we, we know there's a trend of his words not not matching his actions. So. And quick answers now. Do you think he can do it? I'm sorry? Do you think he can do it, Donald Trump? Um, I, I think we'll see. I think I think we might be surprised. And if we are surprised that he does do it, do you think he can unite the country? It feels very divided at the moment. I mean, I hope so. I think he's learned a lot over the past four years, and I think he's learned what has worked and what hasn't worked. And I think, ironically, this pandemic has, has maybe separated initially, but I think ultimately he'll be able to draw us back together. Okay, thank you very much indeed for speaking to us. So there we have it, two young voters supporting uh, Donald Trump, uh, the owner of this bar. Uh, he is a Republican through and through, he told me. He's lending his vote tonight to Joe Biden. It still feels very unpredictable here at the moment, and it could be days before we know the result. Oh, dear. Okay, Sally, thank you very much indeed. Let's go to Helen Ann Smith in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, Helen Ann, what is it about uh, 80 minutes until post close there? Yeah, that's right, Dermot. And voters absolutely still coming thick and fast. It's been a really great atmosphere, actually, at this polling station here today. There's been music, uh, lots of laughter, people pretty pleased to be here. As you can see, there's still long queues uh, stretching all the way around the corner. They're not too long here, maybe sort of 20 minutes, uh, half an hour wait. And that's largely because the Arizonans have a pretty robust tradition of early voting. The voters are used to it here. Uh, many of them have cast early ballot, and the turnout's been amazing. Uh, the total number of ballots cast in Arizona uh, already exceeds the total number of votes uh, in 2016. Now, whether this ruby red Republican state will flip blue will depend largely on whether certain groups of voters turn up. One of them is younger voters. Just think about this. Donald Trump won this state by fewer than 100,000 votes last time. 
Since 2016, 600,000 young people uh, have turned 18. Uh, and we want to talk to a couple of them uh, over here now. Thanks, guys, for joining us. I know you guys are part of an organization persuading students and young people to come to the polls. Uh, young people could hold the balance of power in the status election. How are your generation feeling about this vote? Our generation is very excited across the board. I think one of the best things about being young in this uh, era is that we have access to all the information. I mean, kids today, they see everything. They see the stories, they see what's going on, and they care. They want to make a difference and they want to make a change. So it's great to see. I know you're a first-time voter yourself. How do you feel about that? Are you feeling good? It, it feels amazing. I've been politically active for around four years now, since 2016, and God, all I've been dreaming about is the day that I'm able to vote and make a, have my voice heard, so it's a great feeling, yes. What do you think the issues are that young people are voting on this time? Uh, what are the issues they care about? What really matters to them in this election? Um, I would say that a lot of the issues that students are most caring about this election are like healthcare, um, affordable higher education, um, what else? The climate change. Climate change, climate change yeah, is course. a big one for us. I mean, at least people I've talked to, it's like, it's, it's our world, you know, and we're the youngest generation that's going to be living in it. So I think that's one of the decisions that we really want to have control over. Is there a sense from your, your friends and your, your colleagues at school and university, is there a sense of which direction the group may be leaning? There is definitely, I would feel, uh, in my personal groups, a lot of progressive sentiment. There's a lot of um, talk about what we can do for the future, what we can do for even the generation that comes after us. So, yeah, looking into the future and looking to make things a little more prog progressive would be ideal. But crucially, are people, young people, actually engaged this time? Because historically, they don't always turn up to the polls in large enough numbers. Uh, do you think they will turn out this time? Uh, yeah, of course. I feel like now more than ever, students are showing up and... With ASA, what we have been doing is electioneering and going door to door and getting as many people out to vote, especially young people, because this election is really going to matter. What are your plans tonight? Are you staying up all night to see in the results? We're definitely going to keep track of everything that happens, and uh, I mean, it's going to be a great night either way. I mean, we're going to have work to do, or we're going to have a lot of fun, so it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, good luck, guys. Good Thank luck. So uh, as I said, there's loads to play for in Arizona. This is a traditionally ruby-red Republican state. Democrats feel very strongly that they could uh, flip this state for the first time in many decades. Thank you very so much. Very soothing that music.